With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The weeping mothers, the lost fathers, and the forsaken children, and let them come quickly, for a voice of crying is heard out of Zion, for we are greatly confused, for death has come into our ghettos to cut off the young men and women from the streets of Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, and throughout America, South America, the Caribbean islands, Africa, Asia, and all over the world. So return unto me, thus saith Yah, and I will return unto you, O my people. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, New Media, 
for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get an understanding again. Welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Reggie. The number to reach us to join uh, to join our conversation this evening is 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. The listen-only line, if you don't have computer access, access to a smartphone, iPad, uh, tablet or any other device is 605-562-3140. That's 605-562-3140. And that access code is 9585-90 and pound. Again, that access code is 9585-90 and the pound sign. And again, this week, if you choose to participate from the uh, the conference line, just dial, just hit star six one, and you'll be able to participate in the conversation from the conference line. Any of the conference line listeners, just hit star six one on your phone, and you, we'll be able to see you if you want to participate in the conversation. We're streaming live at two locations: www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening again that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening time for awakening is also on tune in tune in is a free app on your your desktop your ipad your tablet even your smartphone you can download the tune in app for free and in the search engine just type in the time for awakening uh, radio program, and you'll see the icon to listen to the program live on TuneIn, even in your car. Drop us an email at time for an awakening at gmail dot com. That's time for an awakening at gmail dot com. Time for awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. Just go to the Facebook search engine and type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the uh, uh, the page and a lot of interesting articles and things of that nature posted by Brother Edge daily. And before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program with the fan page on Facebook. Time for Awakening Media has also been launched in your search engine on your uh, on your address bar on your computer or your tablet or your iPad or smartphone just type in time for an awakening and it'll take you to time for an awakening media there you'll see a lot of interesting content being posted and uh, and podcasts of the program Uh, more podcasts will be added daily Uh, more articles and products that uh, we could purchase that we use every day from black vendors so, uh, Time for Awakening Media is growing all the time, and those things will be added very shortly. But you can still go to Time for Awakening Media by putting it in your address bar. That's timeforawakening.com, timeforawakening.com. 
com, and you'll see the site. Tonight, we'll be joined by two special guests. Historian, educator, and author, a living treasure in Pennsylvania, and especially in the Philadelphia area, Dr. Charles Bloxon will be joining us. And also, Brother Richard Wright White will be joining us. He's a tour guide at the African-American Museum here in Philadelphia. We'll be talking about the Free Africa, African Society, that was started by Absalon Jones and Richard Allen. We'll look into that and look at the men that formed it. And can this be a blueprint to move our people forward today? We'll be discussing that and probably other topics that we'll spin off on to with our guests this evening. And we'll be right back to get things started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley antiquity to the present our people need to develop a new paradigm it's time for an awakening sundays 7 p.m with your hosts elliot and reggie uh tonight uh i'll be flying solo uh my uh right arm and, and uh, co-host brother reg is down in west palm beach florida at the one million conscious black voters and contributors training session uh he'll be back with us next week so uh, I'll be talking about the community announcements in the area tonight. Um, the House of Reawakening, the House of Reawakening Minds and the Christiana Cultural Arts Center presents Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Ooh, I'm sorry. Presents Healthy, Wealthy and Wise, a lecture and workshop with the renowned 
natural health and wellness specialist, Dr. B. Sirius, Ph.D., the medicine man. We'll be joining uh, you, hopefully, on Friday, March 18th from 6 to 9 p.m. is a lecture and a workshop on Saturday, March 19th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. The lecture on Friday, uh, the 18th from 6 to 9 is $20, $20 admissions for the lecture on Friday. The workshop on Saturday, March the 19th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., which is all day, is $85. You can get a combo uh, ticket with the lecture and workshop for $79, which is a bargain. The workshop on Saturday is an all-day workshop starting from 9 to uh, to 4 p.m., uh, which will entail a lot of different things, holistic healing techniques, eating to live, plant-based medicines, uh, breaking old habits, discovering your life purpose, uh, vibration healing and subconscious realignment, how to re- eradicate mental health and physical parasites, natural stress relief, is different workshops going on all day Saturday from 9 to 4 p.m. And the lecture is Friday the 18th from 6 to 9. You can get the combo ticket for $79, which is uh, uh, the best bargain to get. And uh, you can dial for more information at the cultural the Christiana Cultural Center, which is 705 North Market Street. Wilmington, Delaware, that's 705 North Market Street in Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. For more information, call these two numbers and get your pen ready. 302-345-0500 or 302-897-5905. Again, calling for information on tickets to the lecture and workshop at the Christiana Cultural Center, which is 705 North Market Street in Wilmington, dial these two numbers, 302-345-0500 or 302-897-5905. That's this weekend's lecture. Next weekend's lecture, I'm sorry, March 18th and 19th with the medicine man. He'll be in Wilmington, Delaware, Dr. B. Serious, Ph.D., Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, the lecture and workshop. Give him a call. Get information. He'll be joining us next weekend. Tonight, we're going to be in conversation with a friend of the program. Uh, and he's a treasure in Philadelphia. In fact, two of our friends, Brother Richard, is a uh, is a friend and fellow uh, soldier and the one million conscious black voters and contributors. But and he's also joined by a living treasure. He's joining us this evening to talk about uh, an important subject and something we can use today as a blueprint, I think. But we're going to get some insight on the men tonight. We're going to get some insight on the Free Africa Society and the men that formed it, Absalon Jones and Richard Allen. And we'll be joined to tell us more about these men by a living treasure, Dr. Charles Bloxon, also Richard White, a tour guide 
at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. How are you, man? Okay, man. How you doing, brother? <laughs> I'm good. How you doing, brother? I appreciate you also um, um, have asked me to come on, this, uh, brother Richard, with uh, brother Boxing because uh, it's an honor and a privilege um, just to to be sharing and exchanging, and hopefully it will um, be fruitful from my side. I know from his side as well. <laughs> I'm glad to have you with us, Dr. Bloxon. It's, it's always good to talk to you, and glad to have you back on Time for the Awakening. Thanks for calling me, brother. Uh, listen, before we get started this evening, <clears throat> uh, Dr. Bloxon, how have you been? Uh, I know you've been, been still writing. In fact, you... Well, I'm retired, but not retired. You know, when I retired, when they closed the lid on my casket, this is, I've been doing this for, for 70 years since I was a child. You know, it's, it's a glorious history. There's always something new. Okay. Well, Dr. Boxer, let's get right into it because <clears throat> when uh, when I talked with Brother Richard off the air and uh, he shared with me the uh, the preamble and some of the articles of the Free Africa Society, I figured it wouldn't be a better person to get on and talk about these men than you. Uh, the Free African Society, which was started by Absalon Jones and Richard Allen, uh, the date was 1787, and uh, that's what the uh, the writings say. You can help us out with a lot of these things. But before you talk about the organization that was formed, talk about some of the men. I, I read there was other men involved. Some of the other men were Cyrus Bustle, James well, I'll, Fortune. I'll, yes, I'll be glad to do that. Talk about some of these men from a from a. Uh, you you already, a, you already mentioned the honorable. Richard Allen, Epsilon Jones, Reverend Richard Allen, Epsilon, Reverend Allen, Richard Allen, and Reverend Epsilon Jones. I mean, they were giants in their own time, and their legacy still prevailed today. It was in Philadelphia and other places. But you can't forget their their co-founders, such as um, James Fortin, the wealthy abolitionist, black nationalist James Fortin, Cyrus Bustill, who was the great-grandfather of my hero, Paul Robeson, um, James Dexter, who was active all over the place, William Gray, and, and, and others. It was the first effort by African people, Afro-American Negroes, predominantly what they were called, they called themselves Africans. It was the first example of black nationalism in the United States, primarily founded for beneficial societies and so forth, and mutual aid society and protection, particularly among African women. I was. I have fond memories of uh, 1992. Pardon me, I have a slight cold, but mm-hmm. 1992, when I stood unveiling the Pennsylvania State African American Market, which I was in charge of through the efforts of my good friend, Dr. Bernard Washington, who gave us $90,000 to place markers throughout the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia has the largest African American market program in the country. It was located at in Lombard. When you go past Six in Lombard, you still see the sign there. As I said, I have memories standing there unveiling the, the marker there. Dr. Bloxer, do me a favor. Tell us about each one of these men. Give us a little sketch of these men personally. Because well, I, know, I know, know you can talk about some of these men like you knew, like they were friends well, of yours. Well, we, we all know about, uh, most, of, most of what we should know by now, by now, about, about uh, Richard Allen, Mother Bethel Church, how he started as an enslaved African 
out here in, in, in Germantown area and later in my area where my people come from in Slavin, in, in Sussex County, Delaware, mm-hmm. Epsilon Jones, Reverend Epsilon Jones also was there, but they both had a profound influence upon what happened, not only in Philadelphia, you know, uh, as far as organization, even with Freedom Network, we could talk about the Underground Railroad, what they started early from Mother Mother Church and the churches, and, and the efforts of some of these men. They were all active in the Freedom Network, which later acquired the name of the Underground Railroad. Okay. So then you have William Gray, who was a good friend of uh, Richard Allen and Epsilon Jones, who participated in the terrible plague of 1793, the, the Yellow Fever. They went around burying predominantly white people. Then they were criticized later on for 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 accusing of robbing the dead. And then the James Dexter, he was here, there, everywhere, organizing efforts. He used his own house to help establish the uh, Free African Society. And there were others. <clears throat> now, Dr. Boxer, all of these men, beside James Fortune, if I'm correct, uh, started as a, as a chattel and slaves. They were enslaved. Am I right? And you're right. Oh, even Savage Bustle, he bought his freedom when he was in Berlin, New Jersey. Uh, that's where he was born. Uh, we, we know Bustleton today. Bustleton, part of the city of Philadelphia, is named for the Bustle family. Cyrus Bustle's father was a white Quaker. And later, they, he helped establish with schools, one of the first schools established by Cyrus Bustle and his daughters, his whole family, the whole Bustle family was active in the, the women and men in the Underground Railroad and Freedom Network. And then, we, of course, we know about James Ford and how he used his money to help finance the Liberator, started by William Lloyd Garrison. He did, he, he did so much, and uh, James Dexter and others. Now, for our listening audience, how did uh, James Fortune acquire his fortune? Because he wasn't a slave. No, he wasn't a slave. He, his, he was born a free African African or Afro-American. We were called many names at the time, but the, during that time they were called African, Afri, African-American. They took the name African. Even today there's still controversy what we should call ourselves. When people come to the collection, they see Afro-American collection. They look at me. I don't care what they say because I have collected books and so forth with different names. Men and women of color, colored American. We called ourselves many different different times. We even had, even had a magazine in 1950s, 1940, when I was growing up. It was called Tan American. The main thing is to know that we were proud people and that we helped establish this country. The one other thing is missing, and I'll get back to your subject um, during 1987 was the same year that the white America established the Constitutional Convention held here in Philadelphia. If we all know through our textbook about the Constitutional Convention with Washington and Jefferson and others, but very few of us know about the Free African Society. Okay. Dr. Bloxon, uh, according to the <laughs> writings, the Free African Society was a mutual uh, primarily to help the women and, and burial, burial rights. But from from that, it extended into other areas, starting of schools and so forth, private schools, because our, our ancestors were, were, weren't permitted to go to certain schools. A lot of schools, they had a school in Christchurch for Negroes, and Anthony Benazette, who was a 
French Huguenot became Quaker, he opened a school in Williams Alley. Williams Alley is still there, where it was called the Williams Alley School. It was there back in 1960, just before 19, wait a minute, and then when we first, during the time when we first started the African American Museum, they tore the building down. William Allen was the Wall Street of Philadelphia. That's what, on William Allen was where uh, where they, they had the slave trade, uh, Robert Mars and others, and the William family, they had more enslaved Africans coming to William Allen than anywhere else. So... Getting back to your question, what was the other part of it? <clears throat> no, it, it it was just that, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the principles of the uh, Free African Society being started was the support of women, the orphans, the sick, women and, and the unemployed. Mutual aid, but they extended that from there, and they started their own school and churches, too. Okay. So African-American churches came out of the Free African Society. They did a little bit of everything. As I said, the main network was the Freedom Network Foundation, the, the forefathers of the Underground Railroad. They, Richard Allen and his wife, Sarah, opened a church. Everywhere I traveled throughout my study of the last 40 years of the Underground Railroad, wherever there was an AME church in, in Pennsylvania, I've been to every county, Pennsylvania and other places, in, in New York City, the churches were part of it. So the schools and churches and other things, they, they started. And you, you know, one thing I want—I want because I want to throw this one at, at Brother Richard and get him involved in the conversation. Um, I see that reading the articles and the preamble that our forefathers back then didn't have any uh, problems or any confusion to who they were. They identified themselves as Africans here in this country. They didn't say that, well, I'm this, I'm that. They had no problem saying that they were African They were, they were African proud descent. to be called Africans. That's what they named all their society, the, the, the African Literary Society, the African this, the African that. Even the women, they, they were proud of Africa. But over over the years, every now and then it changed. It was called men and women of color, colored Americans, and so forth. Even today we were called by all kinds of things, you know, but... The main thrust is that we are people of African descent. Okay. The, the diaspora of Africa. Brother Richard, because <laughs> um, you're a tour guide at the museum, when you go over this um, this period in history and talk about some of these men, what kind of amazed you about them? Well, you know, it's, uh, one thing that is definite, and and I and I have to use uh, Richard Allen, I guess. Um, um, all of them as individuals, because the thing about the Free African Society, as uh, Professor Blackford said, and uh, Dr. Blackford said, it, these men were um, not just exceptional in the sense of they recognized that they had to come together to do something for the benefit of their people. I mean, um, that that was some something that's important to realize that these men recognized that they were. Um, servants and stewards and leaders of their people, whether they were elected or not. And they, and this was before even they became church members. And, and the other part was that, you know, that I try to emphasize also is, you know, or at least for this discussion, they were um, true entrepreneurs. They were true businessmen. So they recognized what they had. They recognized the environment they were in. They already had enterprises or were looking to do it, even if it was preaching. They recognized that that was an enterprise to inspire 
uh, of people who were living in an environment was, that was totally hostile. I mean, we have to really place the context of 1776 uh, and before in Philadelphia because, you know, there was no particularly um, free Africans. Uh, free is a relative term, I believe. And, and, and I think um, um, Professor Boxman makes that point about coming together around burials is a really important thing to start from because they, they you, you're talking about a self-identifying people uh, who are recognizing that their ancestor connection is important. So burial is important. And if you can imagine that there was no legal, appropriate place to bury your loved one in Philadelphia at that time. So they, the, the coming together around that, um, these men recognized that that was an important kind of act. And to later on, you know, to build those churches, and the reason why I say Richard Allen, because he um, and the AME, in the way I project it when I do the tours, is truly a total, as uh, again, Professor Boston said, a independent entity in this society. The first kind of independent, I mean, they, when they developed their constitution, and it was at 1816 going on, but even when they started to come together, they said we were using this institution to govern ourselves, and they were doing that under hostile environment. I mean, I believe um, Brother Blackson could probably develop it better, but, I mean, the ministers of the Methodist Church tried to take that church back or tried to preach to them, and they put in their con they put in their institution that they would have no outside people speaking to them. And you know, my last point on the show is the power of the people at that time and the collectiveness that was formulated out of the Free African Society. They the these this society this environment tried to take the church from them more than one time, even to place it up for auction. Now, can you imagine a people not really wealthy, but being able to have social connection with each other and create a, a common pool for the benefit of each other? And when that place came up for auction, if I'm a numbers is off, they had $5,000 ready and at that point it wasn't dollars, it was probably silver or gold, uh, to be able, or shilling, to be able to buy, to be able to maintain that land. This is how foresightful they were. This is how uh, determined they were. And these, and this is how that, that cooperative economic system that you can see in the preamble of the free African society, they were... Um, committed to that principle of social relationship. And that's what I try to get across to people, that while this government was creating a new government, African people in Philadelphia were also creating a government. And they were doing it through those mutual aid societies, through the church formation, and they were doing it in a hostile environment. And businesses out of that also. So that's what I communicate, particularly, or try to emphasize. Uh, thank you, Brother Rich. Um, Dr. Bloxon, um, you know, I, I always like to look at history and say, 
uh, as a as a teaching tool to say to see what we can do better. I did notice through my readings that even though Richard Allen was a a, a minister or be, became a pastor or or even a uh, leader of his organization, the AME, he didn't want a the the Free African Society to be a church organization. Um, some of the men did. In fact, uh, I guess through them going back and forth, they came to the agreement that it wouldn't be a church-related organization. Why do you think back then Richard Allen didn't want the Free African Society to be a uh, quote-unquote arm of the church, so to speak? He, he he witnessed how hypocritical the church was. I mean, as I said, he was born in, in Clive in Germantown, taken and sold to southern uh, southern Delaware, and his main effort was freedom on his mind. He bought his wife freedom and so forth. He was more his, his main goal was to free his brothers and sisters from enslavement. Okay. And also another important thing that people forget to, to talk about is his interest in Haiti. In Haiti, we have a carnival history with Haiti. He, even during the time when he was establishing his church in the first black convention, 18 colored convention, 1830s, Mother Bethel Church, they had Haiti, Haiti on their mind, as Saint Domingue, after they called it. This is why it's so important today to see a lot of our Haitian brothers and sisters coming up from Haiti, still in the Philadelphia, the same way as Jamaica. Whatever happened in the Caribbean, we're all one people from, from Mother Africa to the South America to the Caribbean. We're, it's one continuous thread of a struggle. And Philly was a key place. And Richard Allen also became a circuit rider, as you know. He won the early circuit rider. He rode throughout eastern part of Pennsylvania and parts of New Jersey, establishing churches. And everywhere he established a church, it became a Part of the underground railroad was it was his second church established in Ben Salem, Bucks County, or the one in Lancaster County, Amy Church. He also had the interest of women and children. His wife, and don't forget his wife Sarah, what she did. She did they formed a fraternal organization, the Daughters of Isis and the Daughters of Jerusalem. Even those women, early women, participating in the underground railroad. So he also had, as I said, women rights, not just for the men. He wanted to promote women and children education because he, he realized how hypocritical this city is, fully even today. You know, they should eliminate the word city of brotherly love and sister affection and the, and the peaceable kingdom. As I said the other day, so-called founder of Pennsylvania was a hypocrite. We in Penn own and slave Africans, as well as most of the other so-called founding fathers. So therefore, it's important that next month is a very important historical marker. As I said, I established, I was director of establishing 65 state African-American market Philadelphia, the largest market program in the country, and all hell broke loose because they were tearing them down in a couple places. They, did, they didn't want those nigger markers down in the same area of Philadelphia down in Old City when we first started the African-American Museum. Okay. I was the founding member there when we wanted to establish down on the lot that Mother Bustle owned. They chased us away. So one of them down there in they're coming up at Washington Square area in Center City. You know, at one time we owned all that area. And now you, you don't hardly want you to come down there. So what I'm saying, 
Rich Allen alerted his people to hold on to what they had. Okay. Uh, Brother Richard, uh, you know, I'm looking at uh, some of the uh, information you shared with me, and I see that that Richard Allen and Asalon Jones wanted the men that were kind of like the the uh the pillars or the the uh the foundation so to speak be of good moral character. In fact, he wanted all of the people involved to be of good moral character, which really had nothing to do with religion, but it had a lot to do with just righteous principles. Uh he mentioned in his writings that he wanted the men to uh uh don't be drunkards and not to be adulterers and to uh to uh to record and regulate marriages and births. So what do you think about because we we see now that a lot of these things especially in our churches are being relaxed and doors are being opened for all types of uh, of uh, of um lifestyle so to speak. What do you think that says to our people looking back in history and seeing that some of our forefathers wanted the men to be of good moral character? What is that telling us? Well, it's, it's, it's two. It's two things that, uh, and, and I, have, uh, I uh, brother Elliot, it's like really difficult for me sometimes because I, I'm trying to make sure that we're when we do um, extrapolate from our history that we don't do um, be romantic or at least try to develop our perspective so that we can get a real grasp of the strategies that were used in in the time. Mm-hmm. the the environment they were in again is the most uh, hostile environment that um, uh, uh, any people can be in, even if it wasn't by um, guns. And in, in Philadelphia, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I, I characterize it. They did with laws what the southern plantation owners did with wits. And why I say that, because when you look at a lot of the laws from 1700 on that was placed, they were placed primarily, if I'm not mistaken, to regulate the behavior of free Africans or relatively free. Okay. And you heard um, Brother Blossom make reference to uh, um, Brother Bustill and others. There was a lot of um, mixed um, um, people of color in, the, in this environment, but they that had um, liberal rights, uh, you know, to rights in the sense of movement, but they were still property. So when they they um, these churches come along, what they were dealing with the question of on one hand whites, you know, from the new orthodoxy of white supremacy starting in the 1750s, say with um, Montesquieu and Hume, those guys were setting up why why whites were superior and Africans were inferior. Here you see that they're taking the identity of being African. But they have to. They have to. Show, they took the, I, the position that they have to show that they're not of the character, behavior, the ideal of being inferior than um, whites. That they were just as equal. All right. So when the churches come along, they're saying to the congress, "Look, we have to make sure our behavior is because the." Operating principle was you either are going to accept this environment and resist against it through uh, accommodation or warfare. 
And I'm glad that Brother Dodson brought up about Haiti because the Haitians eventually decided that they were going to war. In Philadelphia, um, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones and those leaders decided what we were going to do was use the moral and ethical um, and economic foundation to display how how we are all universal in, a, in this universal brotherhood, and that the notion that we are an inferior lot that it does not hold true. So those men and women that came into those churches were re-emphasized of how they should conduct themselves, um, because anything anything could be taken out of character um, if you were drunken, if you were um, licit, uh, loose with your or sexual behavior in public. These things could reinforce why what the white elite were saying was the things that she, these Africans can't, they're 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 just they need to be regulated by us because they cannot regulate themselves. And so that that was a strategy and a tactic to maintain a certain type of decorum and social relationship to build the society to reinforce the economic um, cooperation they needed to buy. I mean, these people bought property. Mm -hmm. They they bought land. They bought burial sites. They petitioned. They did the political. They wrote in those educational activities. I mean, these men and women were able to write and petition to government on why they should have certain things, even burial rights. And this was before... Correct me if I'm wrong, Brother Bosco. This is before the 1780 um, gradual abolitionist law. So that was what the church came into being to do. They used the biblical and spiritual um, fiber um, inspiration to be able to um, shape the the whole aspect of that we are a people just like any other people, and don't let, don't let anyone tell us different. But at the same time, we must regulate our behavior to demonstrate that, and that's what I, I see. Now, today, if you want to put it today, the state is saying a lot, of, based off of our defining freedom, the state is now, and I say state as far as the government, is now saying, well, there's freedom for dogs and cats, and, 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 I, and I'm not against that. But it was it was out of these men and these institutions that were shaping, because these are people who at that point in time had no freedom, and law was justifying why they had should have have no freedom, and they were developing that. But now it's a different environment, so that that they you know. Um, the churches today trying to accommodate is not um, regulating. Well, what does this? What? How should our behavior be in this environment? Because I believe it's still hostile. Doctor Bloxon, let me read something to you, and I want uh, you to expand on it and give your opinion on it based on what happened then and what's happening now. Um, in their Articles of Formation of the Free African Society, it states here that uh, members was, were uh, asked members to pay dues of one shilling per month. Now, I don't know what that shilling equals, but we'll talk about that in a minute. 
If they failed to pay the dues for three months, they were cut off from the society, no, no longer able to share in its benefits. The dues collected were to fund the black community service projects that the Free African Society organized, which was the food program, uh, supporting the uh, community's poor, and the widowed. Now, I don't see among their articles that these men took a salary from the monies collected from the peoples. Talk about that, because you see now that any organizations and any religious organizations is taking money for themselves. Why do you think the men back then didn't feel as though it was necessary for them to take money and all of the money that they collected went uh, was reinvested or went back to they, the people. They felt that they had a moral obligation to, to to support their people. It wasn't about money. It was about freedom and dignity you know, of our people. Most of them were poor, so Richard Allen, was, he could always help other people. He was a poor poor minister. Absalom Jones was a poor minister. The only person that really had money, really, was James Fortin because he made his money from, from creating a sale and it became a he would have been, I wouldn't say, a millionaire that he was a wealthy person, but he gave back to the abolitionist cause. They weren't selfish like some of our people are today in the churches and other places. They believed in their in their families and also the churches and in their cemetery. It makes me my stomach crawl to think that we have a cemetery with Mother Bethel and other churches a part of it, right there in Center City today with nearly 5,000 of our ancestors buried under concrete by the recreation area. So what, what do you say to that? We have an obligation. I know the time when they uh, they, they built the, um, the Vine Street Bridge, I mean, it was the first African church cemetery. They, they had to remove that. So if we can't take care of our cemeteries, you know, we, Richard Allen and Epson Jones and Cyrus Bustle and others founded for Free African Society to preserve the honor and our the ancestors when they were buried. We have lost. We have lost so much that our ancestors paved the way for. No, they weren't selfish people. They didn't really care about money. They cared about dignity and freedom. Okay. Uh, we're going to take. And if, and if go I, ahead. If go I ahead, add, Elliot, on that on that point about the cemeteries and the um, and the importance of them, or and the outgrowth of the Free African Society, the insurance companies that were developed. You know, yeah, um, that's good. That's for the, the, one of the first insurance company. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't bring that up. They, later, it was called the Afro Afro America. The word Afro American has always been part of our history. They called the African Afro American Insurance Company, which was one of the early insurance companies that started here in Philadelphia. Okay, good. Richard. Yeah, yeah, no, that was the other, uh, you know, I think it's like really important. And I'm glad um, Dr. brought up about the uh, the the, the 5,000 of the vessel under the vessel burial ground that is under um, discussion now on the question of how we should, um, you know, honor, respect, or even address that um, today. I have to say, as a, as a tour guide and one, in, you know, um, at the African American Museum, um, and I'm so glad that they did put together that exhibit audacious freedom, um, because um, as Brother Bonson said, I believe that um, you know, and, and Brother Ed, Ed Robinson and Calvin Robinson, Brother Battles, they had said, you know, that uh, people without um, memory of their history 
is, you know, really uh, lost. And for black Philadelphians, I believe that it's important to have that that foundational period. When you, you know, like when you're bringing up about the free African society, I mean, it's the basis of economic development, right? Um, but when we look at now, how many cooperatives are we in a time now when they're talking about cooperatives? How many cooperatives are, are um, uh, Afri- uh, Philadelphians of African descent are really engaged in as the basis of economic development? And how much need do we have as the basis of economic development, job creation for cooperatives to have, to, to be in, into being? And I want to, you know, as that member of, of, you know, one in a million conscious black um, voters and, and contributors, the point of that this is not outside of being political, you know, because it's, it's these guys were developing this free African society and developing these churches at a point in time, at the most heightened moment in Philadelphia, in this nation's political development. And they were right in tune with it. They were participating, even after 1780, when they could vote. You know, they had to come up with political strategies because if they did exert themselves too much in the political process, what kind of backlash they were going to deal with. But they were political. They the ones that helped push forward that um, Gradual Abolitionist Act. With the friend, with the assistance of those Quakers and and Presbyterian um, people that were a part of the political machinery of the time, you know, that, that so they weren't like just doing economics in absence of being involved in the political engagement or doing social service in absence of the economic and the political. Um, realities that they were dealing with. They were consciously involved in it. And I I think that's an important lesson for today when we're talking about um, how it's almost seemed like we're letting other people dictate the politics, and then we're saying we're we're just outside of, we're just here to cast votes more than getting something out of it or having something engaged to where we're trying to get something out of it by our participation. That's the, um. it, it, it takes me back to 1981 when mm-hmm. I was, as a member of the African American History Museum, I was asked by Clarence uh, Farmer and others to do an exhibition to commemorate 300 years of Pennsylvania, uh, founding Pennsylvania, including Philadelphia. And I filled the whole museum from the entranceway all the way to the top floor of African American Philadelphia. Uh, and won a, a uh, in Pennsylvania, predominantly Philip, and won a national award. I was asked by Ramona Risco when she was director to mount the exhibition, but I was so angry and upset with the so-called President House of Independence Mall that I failed to participate in that exhibition. But the majority of the items for that is, that is in the museum today is from is from my research, from the books I wrote on blacks in Philadelphia. I could tell you where the items came from, but nevertheless, to talk about independence for all the present house, all that, 
they didn't want our people to even come down there. They said that niggers, this is a quote, that niggers never did anything to help with our freedom. They used to chase them away. Octavius Valentine, Cato, and others, who was part of the Institute for Color Use, which is now Cheney, told our, their fellow African-Americans, do not go near Independence Hall. We're, we're not welcome down there. So they celebrated the emancipation of the West Indies, 1838. That was their biggest holiday. You know, if I may add uh, with that, Elliot, the, the point that always one of the things that I always emphasize when I do the tour is that it was a point in time, and I don't remember the exact date, when Pennsylvania was collecting its history of Pennsylvania. And, um, and I think that was the uh, Historical Society. They consciously, consciously made sure that the history of Africans in Pennsylvania would not be placed in there. Who, who, yeah. What did you say, Brother Historical Society of Pennsylvania? Yes, yes. Well, don't tell me to talk about it. I was, I'm not to pat myself on the back. I was the first African-American ever appointed to the board. I was the one that said you must open it up to more African people and, and children and women and so forth. I served on that board for six years, and you're absolutely right. All, all these years, they had all our information there. You don't forget the library company, too, which is 13, next door to the Historical Society, 1314 Locust Street. I remember when it was all the way down on South Street, that big building on South Street. Back when I was in junior high school, I used to go down there and compare my collection, what I collected, with what they had. So, And then for years, they didn't want any anyone to be involved, any of African descent to be um, connected with the, the with the museum, although some of our ancestors uh, donated papers and all to the Historical Society of Pennsylvania. So what I'm saying to you, a lot of these institutions, and don't mention the Union League. Now, yes, we can go to Union League day now today. Every year they have to our good friend Bob Bogle, the uh, every before every February the, at the Union League in African American History Month. Years ago, up until recently, up until about 15 years ago, the first African person admitted to the Union League at the member was William Coleman. African Americans also always were connected with the Union League. They worked there during the day, but they, they couldn't become members. But now they, they can become members. Or that we had in those days. Don't forget our own institutions. Don't forget the Pyramid Club. Every time I go past the Gerard Avenue Pyramid Club, we put a marker there, a historical state marker, to, to, to emphasize the importance of the Pyramid Club. When we couldn't go to Union League and other places, we went to the Pyramid Club. All kinds of people, Josephine Baker, Paul Robeson, Nina Horn, Adam Clayton Powell, all kinds of people you would come to the Pyramid Club. And how many people know about it today? We're, we're, lo we're losing. You go past Berean, the Berean Institute, we put a marker there. It makes me want to cry. The, the very important institute is Berean Institute. We're losing our institutions. And what are we doing? Wow. We're joining conversation this evening with historian, educator, and author Dr. Charles L. Bloxon, and also Brother Richard Wright, a tour guide at the African American Museum. We're talking about the Free African Society. And for folks that are not in the Philadelphia area, you're familiar with uh, 1776 and the Constitution being written here in Philadelphia, which was the cradle of uh, so-called democracy in this country. Well, you might not be familiar that 11 years after the Constitution was written, black men put together, quote-unquote, a Constitution. 
the Free African Society. And we're talking about it now. And we're talking about it in relationship to what we can do moving forward. Uh, we're going to take a break shortly. But before we go, uh, and you can get involved in the conversation, too, if you've got questions at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. Dr. Bloxon, let me yes, look back because I like to always reflect on what the men did then and what we can do better moving forward. We see here that the foundation of the Free African Society was our forefathers. But it was one guy that was in the group, Joseph Clark, that was a white man, a Quaker. And it was a deal made, according to the um, the articles in the writings, and, uh, and I'll read it and because I want you to expound on it and tell us why and you what you think the men's thinking were when they did this. It says Joseph Clark was chosen clerk and treasurer of the Free African Society with the stipulation that whenever another should secede him, it is always understood that one of the people called Quakers is to be chosen. Why do you think the men did that? Well, it's hard to say. As I said, some of the, there, were, there were some good Quakers, like there was good bad African-American, but most of the Quakers were hypocritical. That Some of them gave their lives money and everything to support the black cause. Like Anthony Benazette opened the school up and so forth. Uh, David Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse Square is named for the Greek scientist who he, well, he was born in Germantown and he supported Benjamin Banneker. He support, when, spoke highly of Banneker and, and others. You always had one or two who were sincere. And, and our people, although being under the yoke of enslavement, we were, we were, we were forgiving people. We, okay. we also we weren't harsh. Our ancestors weren't harsh. They invited others, those who were sincere. Evidently, those who appointed him to, to have the position that he had, they trusted him. Okay. Brother Richard, and, and uh, as a tour guide, what was your opinion when you saw that? Well, <coughs> uh, now, let me say this uh, to answer that. I, um, I, I, I call myself a Marcus Garvey conservative. Right? So, and I came to the, I came to Philadelphia, the history of Philadelphia, um, from dealing with um, the political, um, from a political or pan-African political perspective, and also, um, you know, from looking at ancient uh, Khmer. So I'm all that that that. When every since I read it, I've been wrestling with that question: Why? Um, I think right now I'm at the point of saying. Um, recognizing that the Quakers politically um, at that time were um, also uh, on the ropes. You know, um, we have to remember that the Quakers um, were considered, um, what's that, um, might have been Tory, that they didn't necessarily support the the whole, um, and that's the main fraction of the Quakers, didn't necessarily support um, going for independence. Um, and um, and yet it took them a long time, like a hundred years before they um, denounced um, um, slavery um, as 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 Quakers, and they were business people, and they and initially they were the ones who had um, um, dealings with the in the plantations in the Caribbean. So being um, I, I see that they were 
like loyal allies. And you have to remember now, these are three Africans that didn't have, though they were given because of a, a political fraction, there was, um, there were political, look at the Whigs and the Federals or the two political entities. One wanted, um, when you look at the Pennsylvania Charter, um, as far as the, the Constitution, they had a fight that they wanted pure democracy. They wanted the farmers in the county to, to actually, the farmers wanted to vote, but the, the men who sat in that hall, in Independence Hall, thought that governing should be held by the elite. So there was a, a fraction going on at that time in relationship to um, dealing with it. So that 11 years, and even getting that gradual abolitionist um, law passed, because I think um, Benjamin Rush um, was also instrumental in making sure that that um, law could get on the legislative docket um, being an institutional foundation. So I think they, they, it was a, 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 a tactical move to, main, to try to make sure that this here economic entity could be respected and, and, and could be able to develop. And they had a political ally, and that was one of the ways that they could be able to make this institution move forward um, um, as an entity to carry out the social and economic development needs that they, they wanted to happen at that time. That's where I'm at this point. It's, it's, uh, that's correct, brother. And oh, don't forget, uh, there's so much to talk about. The Pennsylvania Abol Abolition Society. I'm a yeah. member of it. Was, I was president in 1976 on the bicentennial. You know, you always had other white people and Quakers. Some Quakers were involved with the Pennsylvania Abolition early Quakers. But don't forget people like the Marquis de Lafayette, who who was who was a good friend of Richard Allen and black people. Don't forget. Uh, Thomas Paine for what he did, and Dr. Benjamin Russ, who was part of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society, and, and also another person, giving credit, he's there, there, and everywhere. Oh, oh, early, he owned the slave Africans of Benjamin Franklin, and he later renounces his the institution statement, and uh, just before he died, 1789, he wrote a, he wrote a attack against slavery. He became a member through the effort of Thomas Paine of the, of the Pennsylvania Appalachian Society, which is still in existence today. As I said before, there were always a few African, I mean, whites, Quakers, and, and others who were part, who was fair-minded, and they were up, up, upward-looking people, and they didn't use black people. Uh, we always give credit, but the, uh, on the whole, the Quakers, I'll say it a thousand times, they were hypocritical, including William Penn. Because he owned the slave Africans. Well, I want to touch on that coming back because we see that uh, the Free African Society ran into huge difficulty uh, and 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 fell apart. I think in 1794. We'll talk about that after the break. You can be involved and join the conversation with historian, educator, and author Dr. Charles L. Bloxon, also Brother Richard Wright. Richard White, I'm sorry, who was a tour guide at the African American Museum. Join this conversation at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. We'll be right back.
tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. What is in one million brothers and sisters who are tired of the same old rhetoric, the same old leaders, the same old ways of dealing with political and economic empowerment? If you realize that nobody's going to save black people but us, if you understand that no existing political party prioritizes the best interests of African Americans as a collective, if you believe that leadership is as leadership does, and this means that the best leaders for the black collective must come from the ranks of those who place and hold the best interests of black people foremost and uttermost, if you understand that black people must develop the mindset and the will to finance their own racial uplift organizational efforts, then get involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. The movement is now. Go to www.iamoneofthemillion.com. That's www.iamoneofthemillion.com.
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality I've got the identity of an African But if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African Welcome back to Time for an Awakening, and we're joining conversation this evening with historian, educator, and author, a living treasure, Dr. Charles L. Bloxon is with us this evening, and Brother Richard White, a tour guide at the African American Museum. We're talking about the Free African Society, the preamble, and the articles. For those uh, of our listening audience, that's not from the Philadelphia area, the so-called cradle of liberty of this country in 1776. The Constitution was written by white forefathers of this nation. But 11 years later, articles of a Constitution was written by some of our forefathers. And we're talking about that this evening in relation to the blueprint to move our people forward. Before we get back to our guests, I want to let everybody know about the uh, the event coming up here in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, which is... Uh, right outside of Philadelphia, on March 18th and 19th, a lecture 
Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, a lecture and workshop with Dr. B. Sirius, the medicine man, will be in the Philadelphia area. It'll be in Wilmington at the Christiana Cultural Center, which is 705 North Market Street, 705 North Market Street in Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. The lecture is uh, Friday, which is March 18th, from 6 to 9 p.m. It's $20 for the lecture. But on Saturday, the 19th, it's a, a massive workshop from 9 to 4, all-day workshop, different classes, a breakout sessions. You can participate. A lot of knowledge will be dispensed. And the workshop is $85, but you can get a combo ticket for the lecture and workshop for the price of $79. To get more information on the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise lecture and workshop with Dr. B. Serious the medicine man, uh, give these two numbers a call of 302-345-0500. That's 302-345-0500 or 302-897-5905. That's 302-897-5905 for more information. Dr. B. Serious will be in Wilmington on Friday the 18th and Saturday the 19th. The Medicine Man will be here. Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise lecture and workshop. Give them a call to get more information. And if you missed our program from the beginning, you can always go to timeforanawakening.com. That's Time for Awakening Media. Just put it in your address bar, timeforawakening.com. There you always see interesting articles being posted uh, the Black Products will be up very soon and also podcasts of the program where you can listen to past episodes and even this episode will be up after we're done uh, with our guest this evening. So go to uh, timeforawakening.com in your address bar to uh, see the podcast and other interesting articles and we'll get back to our guest, historian, educator, and author Dr. Charles Bloxon, also Brother Richard White. Uh, and you can give us a call at 215-253-7263 if you have a question or comment for our guest. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Richard and Dr. Bloxon, I want to read something to you because we see that after in 19, uh, 1793 when the uh, yellow fever epidemic hit Philadelphia that the Free African Society got involved. Our people uh, got involved, the men and women, nurses, and some of the doctors and some of our people volunteered because of the encouragement of the Free African Society. But let me read to you, because you mentioned a uh, a guy earlier. I want to read to you um, uh, segments from an an article I was reading uh, and get you both to weigh in on it. Um, And this was during a time when uh, land was being purchased for the purpose of burying our dead because just like you stated, uh, uh, Dr. Bloxon and Brother Richard, that prior to that time, we really couldn't bury our dead within the city limits and they didn't have any markers. They had to be buried in unmarked graves. So let me read this to you and get your opinion on it. Um, I'll start here. It says, also, in, a, in applying for grants that would allow an allot uh, area of land for burial of blacks. A number of whites signed the petition, including one of Philadelphia's doctors, Benjamin Rush. 
It is noted that Rush and those who signed did not necessarily express a sentiment of equality and the likelihood saw blacks as at least foreigners. In, 19, in 1793, Dr. Rush would become very well known as one of the many doctors who believed that blacks were immune to yellow fever. He wrote an uh, open letter in a newspaper under a pseudo name known as the Quaker who helped educate blacks. And he appealed to blacks to aid others in the city during the epidemic. Uh, Allen, Richard Allen and Absalon Jones decided to respond and together with members of the Free African Society who served both black and white residents as nurses and aides during those terrible months. So we see here that it was stated uh, by writings that, and just like you both expressed these sentiments, that a lot of the Quakers that decided to give black folks money and things like that, which was morally right, they wasn't doing our people any favors. It was morally right from uh, them abusing and participating in the enslavement of our forefathers. They it, it mentioned in the writings that they didn't see blacks necessarily as equal. They just saw them as foreigners. And Dr. Benjamin Rush uh, believed that blacks was immune to yellow fever. Now, he left the city during the epidemic, but blacks stayed. Richard, in fact, I think Richard Allen got sick from yellow fever. You can clear this up, Dr. Bloxham. Speak to this issue. Well, the first thing, Dr. Benjamin Rush, he wasn't, he wasn't a Quaker. Okay. That, that's wrong. Go ahead. First, first of all, he, he was very close to Richard Allen. He Matter of fact, Richard Allen thought so much of him that he invited him, to Dr. Rush, to speak at the, to the grand opening of Mother Bethel Church. Okay. Other, other whites accused African people, like they said at first, they thought that we were, they were immune to it, but many of our ancestors came down with the yellow fever. Then they also, they volunteered. Absolutely, John Richard Allen, William Gray, and others gathered African people to go around and they had a saying. There's a book written by a man by the name of Powell back in uh, about 20 to 30 years ago. It's called Bring Out Your Dead, Bring Out Your Dead. Richard Allen, Epson Joe, William Gray, and others, African-American, went around to the white sections of the city calling, Bring Out Your Dead, Bring Out Your Dead. Epson Joe was chased by a white person and told to get away from his window. And two days later, he, he returned to the same site, and the man was dead. So many, I mean, you go past Washington Square, where we, we're not really welcome today. African people are buried there, along with a lot of other people, people who were, came down with the yellow fever. But, yes, many African people came down later with the yellow fever because they thought because they had African from River from Africa, they wouldn't would be defended from the fever. But however, through the effort of William Gray, Epson Jones, and uh, um, Richard Allen, Richard Allen and Epson Jones later wrote what they what some historians call the first public defense against slavery, uh, uh, against written by Richard Allen and Epson Jones about the yellow fever. They defended themselves in the pamphlet. I have a copy of it at, in the collection at Temple. Okay. Brother Richard? I want to um, emphasize that point you made as far as the inferiority um, part, because I think that was um, really um, even amongst 
the quickness, not not necessarily just the inferiority, but the point of strategy um, and relationship to freedom. Um, Because the um, yellow fever, again, taking that position of of being supportive, the the moral position of what's the right right thing to do for for the free African society, I believe, Um, that, you know, um, in accepting, accepting the charge to, because it was always to continue to show the um, the, do- the dominant society that they that they were just as much um, in the definition of being American as anyone else, and the political side of it. Because remember, it was um, you know just the second part of the coming together of those states um, again occurred in Philadelphia in 1787. So once again, they had the opportunity to lift the the yoke of of slavery in this new republic, and they didn't. And they recognized that the South um, was a a political leader in making sure that the uh, slave economy um, would, would, would continue. So here from 1787 to 1793, now there's an opportunity for these these leaders who are uh, continuously showing their their um, commitment to being um, loyal um, Americans, uh, as is being defined at that time, are actually going to take on this charge of assisting um, those people who, in a lot of cases, not only looked at them as inferior, but didn't want to be, or didn't want them there um, in, in total. So that's that's another um, point that I see that that and and why they had to um, come up with that um, political document because right after all this going on, and as, as um, Brother Boston says, um, Allen gets sick and, and 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 others die from the yellow fever. Um, this writer writes this scathing um, um, article about how these Africans were stealing, perpetuating this ideal of you cannot trust these Africans. Not only are they inferior, you can't trust them. Because, again, the, the behind the scenes is the laws to make sure that they can control this population of now free Africans in Philadelphia that are developing. Um, developing an enterprise, developing in political relationships, they're they're developing. So here they they have, and that's why Allen, I believe why Allen and and, um, Richard Allen and Ashline Jones had to write that tract, um, which, you know, becomes such an important political tract to show. Now, there's some piece in there, and uh, Dr. Blackson, you can help me, there was some piece in there where they were, I think they said, if we were like you, we would be in arm, we would be up in arms. So that you know, showing the difference of character, what was placed on them. The other thing I, I want to add to that in 1793 comes, and I don't know the exact date. You know, again, I need help on that. Is the Fugitive Slave Act one of the most? Another one of those repressive. And 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 detrimental um, laws, because here even amongst the free population, with this fugitive slave act, 
what you can get is people who can take free Africans and take them down south. Now, we get the, the artistic rendition of this in 12 Years of Slave. I think that's the movie, mm-hmm. you know, of someone being snatched. But you can imagine the intensity um, that is increased from a national law regulating um, the slave state around, because as Brother Boston keeps bringing up, um, now Africans are have some place relatively, especially in Maryland, some place relatively close to go to be free. So this law now puts everyone on edge, and they have to really continue to demonstrate that they are um, doing righteous acts by assisting in this here most um, um, detrimental, um, disease-ridden moment in in the nation because it killed a lot of people in Philadelphia um, at that time. So that's the way I am um, projected at this moment. You, you know, uh, uh, adding, adding to that, go ahead, go ahead, Doctor Box. I'm glad you brought up the brother, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1773. It's a historic coincidence. George Washington, another hypocrite who owned a slave African when he was residing in, in the so-called prison house in Philadelphia. When the first act he, he, the first act he signed was the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793. And guess who made him look like a fool? Uh, his, his enslaved young lady by the name of Oni Judge, she ran away. You know, it was, it was a historical divine providence in a seed. Here's the president of the United States writing the first Fugitive Slave Act of the United States, and a person, a young woman, and his own, his own enslaved African, she escaped a few years later. So the, the most important Fugitive Slave Act was of 1850 when the whole communities left. And when going back to the uh, yellow fever again, uh, excuse me, not to get yeah, the yellow fever, mm-hmm. I wanted to mention the name of Stephen Gerard. How can we not include his mm-hmm. name in in this discussion with Gerard College, he was another hypocrite who owned enslaved Africans, and the only person he left money to was a black woman in his will. But he had this clause for poor white orphan boys only. So today, as you know, Gerard College is predominantly controlled by African people. But Stephen Gerard was involved with, with um, Rush and others with the yellow fever also, encouraging Richard Allen and Epson Jones to help bury the dead. You know, you you spoke uh, both you and Richard, uh, Doctor Boxer, spoke about the uh, the article that was written, and it, uh, according to this writing I'm reading, it was written by Matthew Carey, a scathing article about blacks. Uh, yeah, he was, was a hypocrite. Okay, that was taking advantage of whites during that period. Right, he was a hypocrite. And <laughs> and, and Allen and Jones uh, produced their own article saying that That's it wasn't right. whites. It was, I mean, it, it wasn't was blacks; a, it, was it was whites it was, that was, it was doing. The first, there, there was the first public defense by African people in the United States, the article that Richard Allen and Epson Jones wrote. Okay. A narrative of the proceedings of, black, of the black people during the late awful calamity in Philadelphia. That's right. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when we go back and look at this, especially comparing when you talk about looking forward to now, um, the writing and the titles of things. Like now, everything has to be put down into a sound bite. Uh, we, we we have original copy in the collection at Temple. Mm. If you if you want to see it, come down and see it. I collected it years ago. 
Oh, the the original one, the Absalon yep. Jones. Okay. Well, a copy of the original. Oh wow. Okay. You know, and according Philadelphians should, should Philadelphians and others should um, make themselves available to see these things. Um, um, Professor Blackson, all the things that he collected and the and the pieces that um, the narrative has developed at the museum, because again, without this, um, when we talk about um, um, the Free African Society, this and I call it a political economic entity, um, a nation a nation building entity. Mm-hmm. I, I I sometimes walk people through and say they were creating. They were paralleling creating a nation, that first generation of Africans in this political economic entity. That's what they were doing because they said, they they said, they'd seen, and they were experiencing that the documents that they wrote, as, as uh, Brother Boxer keeps saying, they were hypocritical contradictions about what they said. And they said they were going to try to hold them to the moral um positioning that the words in that document meant. And they were going to actually operationalize it amongst themselves as it. So they were creating, they were they were here at a time when the nation was being developed, therefore, and were being ex- consciously excluded and took the opportunity to actually develop their own infrastructure to support and 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 give really agency to themselves. You are not going to call me inferior, and I'm going to believe it. You're not going to say that I cannot um, create economic wealth, and, and 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 we're demonstrating that we can. You're not going to say that we're not going to have moral fortitude and have self control, self control and discipline, and we're going to. And you're not going to say that we're not spiritual. And you're definitely not going to say that we don't hold the principles that you outline of what this nation is supposed to be about. Well, brother, not to cut you off, what was, what was happening during that same year, 1787? What happened in, in the United States? The Constitution was written, but wasn't right. Right, right here in Philadelphia. Richard, John, Richard Allen, Epson Jones, Bustle, and others said, "No, we will write our own Constitution, the Free African Society." They were excluded from the original Constitution, as you know, happening happening in the same city, the so-called city of brotherly love. Hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. <laughs> you know, after that, uh, uh, it, it mentioned in these writings here, and and I, and I want you to uh, weigh in on that, Doctor Bloxon, that uh, the money that was spent by Absalom Jones and Richard Allen to answer the allegations of them gouging Europeans during that period. It mentioned that a lot of the financial support outside of the Free African Society dried up, and it caused, at the end of 1794, the Free African Society to go under because of failure to handle overwhelming debts. Talk about that. Well, they were under hard time. They were under survival. They still elements of racism, the same type of racism that we're, we're having today. Can okay. you imagine what we're going through with Donald Trump and others? You know, we, we think that we have it hard, but can you imagine the pressure that they had in those days? You know, they, they were, they were, they, they were in a, in a strange, strange in a strange land. They, they used what they could for religion wise, whatever they could, but how much money could, could they have, make? They, they, very few of them had their own businesses and so forth, okay. but, but the, 
the mere fact that we are here today, that Mother Bethel Church is still existing, almost in the same place, that that St. Thomas is there, and other African churches, the Dora Church and early church and others, we are still here. They paved the way for us, although they went under and they had hard times, but we were able to to survive from it. This is why we always must give our, give credit to our ancestors. We're only passing through. We're only conduit. People say, how do you acquire so much, many documents and books and so forth in your collection? It goes back to 1500. You know, I said, it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the temple. It belongs to our ancestors and the future generations. I'm one of can't do it. I, I received help from Frederick Douglass and Harry Tubman and others, with Robeson and Du Bois. We can name all, more and more and more. We all contribute. Like the program you have tonight, brother, you're contributing to our cause. You know, as long as you're dead and gone, no one will remember what we're what is said here tonight. You know, after the uh, quote-unquote uh, demise of the Free African Society, that model was used in other areas and other black cities or other cities with large black populations around the country, New, York, right. New York in particular. Um, and, and also Boston. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Name uh, just those two or is there others, Dr. Boxer? What you say, brother? No, I said, was it just those two cities, or was it some others? No, there were other other cities: New York, Boston, uh, wherever, wherever, wherever there were African people. Okay. I would say Baltimore. Um, yeah, Baltimore was another, another in, in Ohio. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we we we've seen that the framework of that organization. It was it was banking principles showing the people how to bank. Brother, not to cut you off again. Who did the same thing? I met him with another good friend of mine. I, we used to talk all the time. It, it was called the Sullivan Principle. Am I right, Leon Sullivan, Doctor Reverend Doctor Leon Sullivan? What did he do? Did he almost copy what the Free African Society oh, did? Wow, wow. Okay, okay. And see, and, 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 and they instituted those in the uh, um, the what's that the national the Negro Convention. That's that, right. That's right. In the eighteen um, thirties, which that's they right. Developing those, you know, institutions. Where, 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 where did they have the first? Where did they have the first convention? In Philadelphia. Where about? Yeah. Mother hey, Bethel Church. Mother Bethel. Mother Bethel. Right. Mother Bethel. Yes, we just we, we, a year before he died. Mm-hmm. We all came that, together, um, and 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 the, the the that piece of cooperative economics. Um, um, I, I you know when you you sit you extrapolate that um, recently, and, and this may seem like it's off, but when you look at even in um, um, you know most people don't want to recognize that model, but when you look in South America and say even with um, in Venezuela. They started to, you know, this whole thing of owner-operated, um, um, people-operated businesses um, um, coming into being. This, these, that, that operational principle come. You can see amongst African people, it's something that is not new. Um, a a uh, economic uh, business historian, Juliet Juliet Walker. And uh, tracing the history of African American businesses, um, she shows that the principles of this kind of cooperative economic um, approach is something you can trace back to Africa. When you look at um, the Yoruba, the Hausa, um, 
these societies that had these here um, susus or cooperative economics where everyone was to participate to, as a governing mechanism for creating and, and developing products and, and, and or developing enterprises that would support the community in general. So this is something, when we look at it, it's not something that's just originating in America as that, you know, in Philadelphia, but as you said about the identifiers as far as being African, these Africans are, are still continuing to operate their collective principle and demonstrating it in an in a, in a environment, which I can continue to say. Remember the name Marcus? What about the name of Marcus Garvey? What does he do? Right. Did, did right. he copy from the, the Free Africa Society? Yes, wow. it seems. Yes. You know, that, that's why it's important for our people to really understand our history. You know, you got a segment of our people that don't want to look back at our history. Oh, that was past. We don't need that now. But we need those building blocks because if you look at the, the, the so-called dominant society, that's all they do is refer back to that Constitution. You've got a whole Supreme Court that refers back to that Constitution to base whatever decisions they make off of those men that wrote that Constitution back then. So if we have articles that our forefathers wrote, we should know about that. So we should model organizations based off of that. We can do those same things now. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, uh, Dr. Leon Sullivan and Marcus Garvey because all of those what, things. What about Reverend Elijah Muhammad? Wow. Mm-hmm. Has it stopped? It continues from Richard Allen and from the Free Society. It still goes on. Mm. I mean, it's 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 really amazing. A, a lot more of our people need to go back and read those men's work, uh, read the articles of uh, the Free African Society. With the with the advent of the internet now, a lot of that is basically at your fingertips. You can go back and read those things. Uh, institute them in your places of worship. Institute them in clubs, and and uh, they can make a huge difference. Our people started schools, banking systems, everything based off of what those men were talking about. That's right. And, 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 and dealing with it, and the reason why I'm going to bring back up this here political and economic piece is because, um, when, you know, as a tour guide at the museum, um, when I can get to go and do tours, you know, I'm always looking about how many um, um, Philadelphians are coming through. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you talk about these men in, um, in, in 1976 um, really pushed to have this institution um, put a part of the city budget because they were going to celebrate the bicentennial without acknowledging African Americans until you know. Um, well, I was moment. on the board. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a founding member of the, of the museum. I, I was there. I knew what was happening. First of all, they didn't want the museum there. It was supposed to be down near the Mother Bethel Church a lot during the Mother Bethel Church, but they chased them away. So. We went through hell to get this museum built. I was right there. <laughs> I, I and class and Doctor. Remember Doctor Charles Wesley, the first director of the museum. I knew everybody. I wrote the first and only history of the museum when when Carl's, attorney Carl Sigley was director. He asked me to do it. So I know the museum inside and out. I know all the directors and so. And I'm still connected with the museum. And, and, and it's and it's the thing of um, Black Philadelphians not um, from a political perspective supporting it. I mean, um, and, and this is all 
but one of the third generation um, persons of that colonial period, Octavius Cotta. Um, That's right. Which is, you know, a, a political, um, historical, political icon. And what they organized, I mean, um, at that time, um, you know, in building um, the schools and, 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 and the institute of, I mean, building it in the sense of building the curriculum, putting out the kind of scholarship amongst the students, um, and, you know, managing that um, in that community, that here it ain't, it's not African-Americans in Philadelphia that are pushing for him to have a monument in Philadelphia. What did they do to him? Did they kill him? Yes. They killed him, but his spirit is still here. Yes, but the monument was is very important of, of him and, and and the early members of the Institute for Color Youth. He was he was the Martin Luther King of his day. And and that, and that continuity is you know there. But to, to me, to, to be at the museum and be at the front line and see that um, um, black Philadelphians are are aren't utilizing history to to analyze. Um, our political and economic situation today, um, um, Elliot, when you raised about the churches, it took, um, if I'm not mistaken, it took Emma Chappelle, who created United Bank, trying to get a collective um, positioning around the churches. It took her some time to get that together. Um, the, the spirit of, the, the practice of, of building, I mean, we at, at one time we had four or five churches in Philadelphia. I mean, four or five banks in Philadelphia. Um, right. Again, coming out of, coming out of that that history of the uh, free African society, um, and here we can, you know, we're only we're holding on, um, little, you know, holding on barely to one banking institution. But if people were attending the um, museum. Um, and realizing and uh, utilizing the history that um, Black Philadelphia did, and using that as the template to make decisions today, you know, uh, cooperative economic decisions, um, political political decisions, we will be we should be in a whole lot of a better position. But if you look at the statistics of Black Philadelphia today, it is shameful to to our ancestors. And going back to um, Bethel Burial Ground, it's shameful that we don't even we're not you know that we don't have not a public outcry, but taking a public position of how we're going to handle um, the acknowledgement of those ancestors. And then you should see one of the plank, one of the um, stones that were brought up, the, the statement that I, which I can't remember right now. But if I tell you, you go to the uh, um, a Mother Bethel Church and you look at that stone and you look at that statement, if those, per- those persons then ain't speaking to us now. You know, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Richard, and I, I want uh, Dr. Bloxon as an elder to weigh in on this. We have, because the, the average, and I'm sorry to say, some of the average members of our community might not be aware of what's going on down uh near Mother Bethel Church with 5,000 of our ancestors that's buried, uh, stuffed almost one on top of another in unmarked area that they want to build condos or whatever over. You've got black elected officials that all they want to do is pontificate when they're among their own, walk around with their chest out, 
uh, walk around and get the best seats in auditoriums and best seats in the churches and, 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 and act like they're big timers. But you've got this issue of our ancestors that have been disgraced down there, that, are, that they want to just build over top of or just run over top of their graves. Uh, people that have given a lot to not only this country, this city. Uh, you, if you've got black elected officials, they can basically hold this city hostage. No legislation gets passed until this matter is, is, is uh, taken care of. I mean, well, that's what, I, I, that's I, what I, really... I want to say, God bless you. Amen for what you're saying. You're so right, 100%. And don't retreat 1,000 part of one inch from what you believe. I feel the same way that you feel. We, we moan and groan. We had black and extra fishers and the mayors. When, and all. What about the, the other organizations, fraternal groups and, other, and churches and all? We, this is part of all of our history. We all should get together, not just one group. And it's this great. Like you said, 5,000 graves... An old city, and they, they they don't want us down in that area anymore. What does that say to you? I, I just wanted your opinion on it to see whether I was. You, I feel track. the same way you feel, uh, <laughs> Richard. And, and, it, and it sparks me to add when we're talking about this period, um, the colonial period, and and the free African society. When we're talking about um, cemeteries. We can't exclude Eden, who a lot of the men and women that are that were a part of that, not necessarily a part of the Free African Society, mm-hmm. but a part of that period, are were interned to Eden in Collindale. So you have here uh, another uh, place where you know the question about memory. You know, I mean, if we don't really, I mean, when we talk about history, we're talking about memory. And you have to, you have to believe that it has value. And as you said, when the legal system, they always go back to president. They always go back to memory. When you do the, um, and people are doing the church, they, they go back to memory. Everybody goes back to, go back to the original document. But in order to demonstrate, in order to look at what they're looking at now and what they're planning on doing in the future, and therefore they protect it, they support it. Recently, just this week or weekend, there's people running around the city now in green. And it's, it's, it's not bad. They're reinforcing an intergenerational perspective of memory. While just last month, there was discussion, should we even continue by history month? That's right. <laughs> well, we're going to take a uh, break. Before I let you go, Dr. Bloxon, I want to thank you for being with us. You're a treasure in our community. You're well, walking, thank you, brother. You're walking I'm history. I'm only trying to do it. We're, we're, I'm only passing through. You just keep on doing what you're doing. It's important. Listen, before we go, let our listening audience know what you're doing. Uh, whether they're planning. I know the last time I talked with you, they were planning some type of documentary on your life well, and they, your work. Well, they did that um, for my university, Penn State and, and Temple. Uh, they did a documentary of my 70 years of collecting because I started collecting when I was 10 years old when I grew up in Arnstown, all through high school, all through college, and the various parts of the world, wherever I traveled, I collected our history. You know, So it was over 700,000 items in the collection at Temple and nearly 25,000 at my university at Penn State, but I'm still collecting. 
And uh, for our listening audience that don't know, Dr. Bloxon's life could have took another path because Dr. Bloxon was a world-class athlete and fullback at Penn State before they started letting Bloxon in the NFL. Some of his uh, uh, fellow uh, uh, college mates went on to become Hall of Famers. Rosie Greer. Like Rosie Greer and Lenny Moore, my roommate, they teased me. They said, Charlie, you were always going to a bookstore. We were going to parties and all. Whenever they need information about our, our people, they, they call me. You know, but uh, I, I saw it early. I saw it remind me of a, even those days, of a, of a plantation system. I'm glad that the Lord has directed me in the area of collecting our history of our people because there's always something new. We come from a great people. We're great survivors. As I said earlier, next month we're going to announce the fact that we're going to have a marker, historical state marker, for the first African to arrive in, arrive in Philadelphia. We're hoping to place it at Penn's Landing. We celebrate every year all these festivals of Penn's Landing and other things, you know, all the other things, but not one marker to honor our enslaved ancestors who came over here half naked, strangers in strange land. How can they, as I said before, talk about Pennsylvania being a peaceable kingdom and in the city of brotherly love and, and sister affection? They, they should do away with that. The same thing with Liberty Bell. I want a memorial with the so-called President House. President House, I want a memorial on Independence Hall that signified the importance of our people who helped to build an independence hall, who helped to build this city and everything. The true history is yet to be told about the African-American contribution in this city. Dr. Bloxon, I want to thank you for being with us, and I'll be in touch with you soon. Thanks a lot, brother. <laughs> we'll talk Peace to you and soon. freedom. Richard, stay with thank us. You. Stay with us after the break, Richard. Yes. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowner's insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before- 
before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. What is in one million brothers and sisters who are tired of the same old rhetoric, the same old leaders, the same old ways of dealing with political and economic empowerment? If you realize that nobody's going to save black people but us, if you understand that no existing political party prioritizes the best interests of African Americans as a collective, if you believe that leadership is as leadership does, and this means that the best leaders for the black collective must come from the ranks of those who place and hold the best interests of black people foremost and uttermost, if you understand that black people must develop the mindset and the will to finance their own racial uplift organizational efforts, then get involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. The movement is now. Go to www.iamoneofthemillion.com. That's www.iamoneofthemillion.com. We're not moving. One half or one percent of the nation's wealth. That's what slavery did to you. It maldistributed everything in the hands of the dominant white society. And as an example, you didn't inquire into wealth since 1860. Let me show you some other indications. In 1860, on the eve of the Civil War, almost 99% of all the black people in America, slave and free, was working for whites, either in a white corporation, in a white business, in some white office, making wealth confident for whites on a plantation or whatever it is. Here you are, 140 years later, and again, 98% of all the black people in America work for whites. They either work in some level of government, white businesses, city government, state government, school teaching. Only 2% of all the blacks in America work in their own communities for themselves. Only 2% work for themselves. You haven't changed in 140 years. Let me try it another way if you still don't understand my point. On the eve of the Civil War in 1860, again, at that time, going to look at all the prisons in the United States and examine their records, I found out in the records, when I looked at, in the prisons in Savannah, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, New York, um, uh, Washington, D.C., looked at all the prisons, and I found out at that time, even though only 287,000 blacks were free, blacks made up over 51% of all the prisoners. You weren't even free and you made up 51% of the prisoners. Now I look around 140 years later, today, and I still find black folk make up over 51% of all the prisoners. Where have you changed? You don't own a thing. You're still in prison. Still work for other people. You're enjoying a social illusion. Now you're fat and happy because we can go to someone else's restaurant. We can go to someone else's school. 
We can, we can go to someone else's hotel. We can live in someone else's community. And we don't understand the negative aspects of that. That is a death sentence. And we don't understand what racism is. The movie suggests that Negroes vote for in the coming election. I wouldn't suggest that they vote for any party or either party. Uh, I would suggest that the so-called Negroes become politically mature, realize the power that they hold uh, in the field of politics, and then uh, once the person who is running is aware that this man is awakened to the power that he holds, then that person who is running will approach that Negro on a more intelligent plane. As it is right now, most of the Negro leaders sell out to the political, to the white politicians for crumbs. And uh, an awakening, a political awakening among Negroes will make it impossible for the present uh, Negro leaders to sell our people out as they've been doing in the past. So you do think Negroes should vote? Negroes should do whatever is necessary to bring about a complete solution to their problem. If it, uh, when I say whatever is necessary, whatever is necessary. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. We were joined in conversation with one of our treasures, historian and educator and author, Dr. Charles L. Bloxon, and we still have with us Brother Richard White, a tour guide at the African American Museum. We had been discussing the Free African Society. The articles of those documents were written at the same time that uh, this country was in its birth in the same city, Philadelphia, in 1787. We see that our people put together some articles that we all should be aware of because those are blueprints that can help us move our people forward. Uh, before I go back and speak with Brother Richard about a few more things, I want to remind our audience about the lectures coming up on uh March, excuse me, let me pull my papers up in front of me here, March 18th and 19th in Wilmington, Delaware at the Christiana Cultural Center, 705 North Market Street. That's 705 North Market Street in Wilmington, Delaware. It's a healthy, wealthy, and wise lecture and workshop with world-renowned natural health and wellness specialist, Dr. B. Sirius, Ph.D., the medicine man will be in Delaware. The lecture on Friday, March 18th is from 6 to 9 p.m. $20 donation for the lecture. The workshop, which is on Saturday, is an all-day workshop. You'll be busy all day, so come near, ready to learn from 9 to 4. It's an all-day workshop. Different things going on in breakout sessions. Holistic health healing techniques. Eating to live. Plant-based medicines. Breaking old habits, uh, vibrational healing, and subconscious realignment. How to eradicate mental health and physical parasites. Natural stress relief. A lot of things going on all day on Saturday. Again, the lecture, Friday, March 18th, is from 6 to 9 p.m. It's a $20 donation. The workshop Saturday, March 19th, is from 9 to 4 it's $85, but you can get a combination ticket for both the lecture and workshop for $79. For more information, call 302-345-0500. Again, that's 302-345-0500 or 
302-897-9505. That's 302-897-9505. Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Election Workshop with Dr. B. Serious, the medicine man, will be in town. Brother Richard, uh, interesting discussion this evening with Dr. Bloxon. You know, we were, uh, Richard, discussing, um, <laughs> it was an interesting discussion. Uh, yeah. Brother Richard, I, I, before we leave this evening, and I'm going to get a couple of guests in here. So if we have a guest calling, give us one second and, and call back because I want to, to throw this out here because um, I see a couple uh, uh, callers calling in. But if I don't uh, get right to you, just call right back because we, we got uh, the lines kind of buzzing a little bit. Brother Richard, we look back and we've seen the Free African Society and how it started. Um, doing a little reading and studying on history, i seen where uh, uh, Richard Allen, who was an AME minister, which started the AME, he was the founder, that he didn't want to start an organization that was religious-based. And that was a stickler among all of the men that formed the Free African Society. But they came to an agreement that they would start a organization uh, irrespective of religion. They wanted our people to be involved. Um, I think that was an excellent idea, even for our folks back then. What do you think now in respect to their decision? And do you think it's a stumbling block for our people starting up organizations and it's based on religious belief? I must say it's difficult for me to kind of answer that directly because of my personal um, experience. Uh, I, I'm one who didn't necessarily grow up in a in a church structure. Okay. Um, um, family um, were, but um, my mother decided not to have us to grow up in it. Therefore, each one of us and the eight of us took a different path. Some are Muslim, some are Christian, some you know um, take African traditional belief system. But what what I see of the time and why it was important. And again, I would like to uh, take it to this, um, back to the point of when you have a lot of differences and you're trying to create unity, you, it's one thing if you're going to impose something on people, because then you have to make them make a choice. But if you're saying, well, look, we can have our differences. And I think Malcolm came up with that when he, um, um, came with the OAAU, the Organization of African American Unity. Okay. It doesn't matter of what your belief is. What we're dealing with and trying to overcome, whether it be freedom or to acquire freedom or over, or acquire our liberation, is important for us to come together out of that mutual concern. We can have our differences, our different belief systems. So in that respect, I believe they had, because um, Alan was Episcopalian, he, even though he wasn't attending, he wasn't attending, uh, he was attending because his, the person who owned him attended Episcopalian church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al, um, uh, uh, I mean, not Alan, uh, Jones. Alan was, uh, you know, took on the Methodism, but he started out as a, you know, as a evangelical um, minister, mm-hmm. and he was called to 
the Methodist because of his ability to preach, um, his energy, and being able to speak. And remember, a lot of those first Africans, those Africans of first generation, um, I mean, Bustill, excuse me, let me back up. Bustill was a, he was a, he was brought up as a Quaker, even though he wasn't allowed or is not understood whether he was allowed to be in the Quaker, um, to attend Quaker service. So in order to overcome that, it made sense not to have this to be a religious institution because then you would have to get to deal with a choice amongst men who realize the only choice they really needed to deal with is how are they going to support the survival of themselves and the community that they represent. So to me, that there was a logical conclusion not to start off as a church. And today, um, even though everybody has their belief system, the question is, can you sit down, can you be a representative and sit down in a coalition recognizing that we're trying to solve a problem, a, a people's problem, instead of your beliefs problem? That's how I would answer. That's how I answer it. You know, and, and that's why I like to look at uh, the, the, the things or the accomplishments of our ancestors and because nobody was perfect. Look at what they did and see how we can improve upon it or if we can use that same model now. You know, that's why I asked uh, Dr. Bloxon about um, what did he think those men's reasoning was behind putting uh, the guy Joe Clark as the treasurer. Joe Clark was a, a European that was a Quaker. Um, but we see that, you know, after that yellow fever epidemic, that the support outside of the organization dried up and caused a financial hardship, which caused the organization to fall. So that meant Europeans, whether they were Quaker or not, started backing up from the Free African Society. Right. And I, I think that our people, and it, Dr. Bloxham mentioned about our people being a forgiving people, and and I think that spiritually we are. But I think that we need to deal with the realities of the situation when we're talking about Europeans, that it's a different mindset when you deal with Europeans. And you just have to look at it historically. You've right. seen that wherever Europeans went, that the people that they ran into uh, was from an environment and a culture which stems back from the continent, that they dealt with people as they were. And when I say as they were, when they met people, they treated them with respect initially until they showed something else. But Europeans didn't come from that mindset. They came from a mindset where, they might venture onto a new people, but it's it's something in their mind is saying, I'm going to get this guy when I get the opportunity. I mean, and you see that. That's nothing. I'm not casting dispersions or casting a slur. Those were historic realities that wherever they went, because you don't see in history that when Europeans ventured, and I'm not talking about after they had a track record of interacting with people. I'm talking about when they first ventured and met new people, that they were attacked you don't see historically that that ever happened. Now, somebody can clear me up if I'm wrong. Right. They were never attacked by new people that they met. In fact, they were greeted with open arms by new people. But in the back of their minds, they had other alternatives. 
where they would attack, brutalize, or uh, commit genocide on innocent people that never did anything to them. So you have a different mentality when you're talking about Europeans. And as I've stated, as I just stated, that's not something that are racist or anti-Semitic or whatever term they want to use. Those are historic realities. So when you're looking at, you know, because I deal with the public, so people talk all the time. And they mentioned about the stuff going on, especially now with this political environment. You're talking about Trump and you're talking about Clinton and uh, and uh, uh, Sanders. And they were talking about an incident that happened uh, earlier in the week or midweek with the young man that was leaving, that was being thrown out of a Trump rally and was attacked, punched in the face by a 75-year-old white, white man. Mm-hmm. And... If you saw the footage, I don't know whether you saw the footage, uh, no, Brother Richard. No, um, I didn't. He was addressing or he was giving the finger to somebody else in the audience. I guess I can imagine they was probably calling him the N-word. And mm-hmm. he, when the young man was leaving, he was giving the finger. And this guy came up and punched him in his face. Now, he was a young man. He was, he was in, they said he was 25. He should have reacted a little quicker to that old man hitting him. But the old man punched him right in his face. And when he went down... Four, about four, three or four security guards jumped all over him and arrested him. Now, mm-hmm. he wasn't hit. I mean, he wasn't, uh, he was assaulted. Right. But, but they didn't arrest the guy that assaulted him. In yeah. fact, the news media interviewed the same guy, and he said, if he come back in here, we going to kill him. So he not mm-hmm. only assaulted a man, he uh, gave a threat against a man's life, and the guy still wasn't arrested. So I think that we have to realize, and it's, and, and you know, and like I said, when I was, you know, I deal with the public and my business, and they were talking about it like it's an isolated incident dealing with Trump. I'm trying to explain to them that it's not an isolated incident, that it's a mentality by Europeans that we're dealing with in this country. A lot of them might not agree with how Trump is putting his rhetoric out there, but they agree with his rhetoric in principle. They might not agree with his approach, but they definitely agree with his rhetoric. Because if they didn't, Richard, you'd hear a hue and cry among Europeans that this stuff is not going to be tolerated and it's wrong. I don't hear it. (laughs) I don't hear it from uh, a white society in general, white organizations, or even some of those whites that's running on the so-called friend of black folks, the Democratic Party. They're not saying anything about what's going on with him or what's going on centering around his campaign. So, uh, you know, that ought to be given. And if they say something, it is about Trump more than the point that you're making. I know it. About the people who are supporting Trump. They don't want to isolate the people who are supporting. They don't want to isolate that this is a segment of society. I even seen or heard them talking about, well, uh, what's that, Um, that the the, uh, TV, the cable station, they created the, this people. But th- if this is a mindset, as you're saying, or as I take what you're saying, this is a mindset that has always been a part of America. It, matter of fact, it's a value. Exactly. Listen, and, and I agree, Richard, it's an integral part of America, this mindset yeah. that you see. It's an integral part of how this country was established. So they can't and, get away from that. It's, it's a part of them. And that's why they don't speak to it. Uh, they'll condemn a person who's able to speak to it and and pull them out. 
um, they, they, they didn't think the Tea Party was real. It, what's the difference in what's the difference in the outcome? It's, a, it's just that they didn't have anybody like a Trump expressing that, but they sure enough organized around and put people in place, you know, to to hold up the Congress um, that represented their view. Are uh, you know, their view any their value any different, or the Christian right with, with, at that point when they were. Um, through a presidential election, organizing around that, and they they were all accept all that was acceptable. So Fox News coming and positioning itself to speak to that, even to have a Donald Trump in that is using that megaphone. It doesn't, you know, it only cultivates those people. That, but do any others what they say? Donald Trump does it, but they ain't speaking to that this is an American thing, they ain't saying, well, these guys go to church somewhere. <laughs> these guys are part of some social organization. These guys run a business. <laughs> you know, they ain't saying that. And because they're doing that, or you know, they ain't saying y'all are wrong for having that view. When they talk about post-racial society, I get the impression they're talking to black people. They're telling black people, oh, now y'all are post-racial. They ain't saying white people are post-racial. I mean, what they classify as white, white. They saying because we got y'all got a black president now, the society has changed. Now, ever since they've been saying that, this thing has been escalating. Most definitely, police murders on and on. Most definitely. Well, uh, you know that's why you know I got involved. I'm quite sure that's why you got involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. Because if we're going to play this game of politics, just like the segment I just played with Malcolm, you right. got to play it from a position of strength. You got right. to demand that these people, just like I was talking to Dr. Bloxer, I said, you you got uh, this stuff that's going on down there with, with our ancestors, 5,000 that's stuffed in that burial ground that they want to build condominiums over. These black politicians should be standing on their desks talking about nothing's moving. They want to walk around talking about we run this city. I remember when Street made that stupid statement about blacks run this city. And you see what it, happened, right? Well, yeah. If they run this city, then you ought to be standing on that saying we no legislation is moving in this city until we get this issue straight. Nothing is going, ain't no deals going to be made. Nothing is going to be done. They can hold things up. They supposedly run this city. Every black office in this city. Is is a is, is a black is in charge, a so-called in charge, district attorney, the police commissioner, the fire commissioner, the mayor, the city council. Oh, well, not the mayor. I'm sorry, I, you got a white mayor, but to, uh, everybody else. But it, these, it just down, it these, just down to, to the, the people on the ground. And, that, that's and what it, that's that's what it boils that. down to. And we got to have the proper information. The more you talk to people out here, Richard, you deal with people in the public. You see how people yeah. coming in. Well, it's a certain amount of consciousness if they're coming in the museum. Mm-hmm. But you you know that our people are not stupid. They just suffer from a lack of information. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is, is definitely contrived. So, you know, I do all we can on this program to get information out, to talk about subjects that I think the people need to know about. I'm not perfect. I try to do my best, me and Brother Ridge. So we we just got to do all we can on any avenue we can to get our people the proper information so they can 
make their own conscious decision what they want to do. If you want to be ignorant, then be ignorant. If you want to do something about the situation, at least have proper information so you can make the right decision. Uh, I agree. I agree. I agree. So I, I, uh, you know, the only thing that happens as you're saying that is to think of the um, point when you're um, going back to the free African society is that these, um, the question about agency and the question about utilizing, as you said, utilizing that as a model. And then it comes to the, the association is what, uh, uh, um, I don't know, um, Marcus Messiah Garvey said as far as the greatest weapon used against the Negro is disorganization. And then what uh, Kwame Ture said about organize, organize, organize. So we have the proper information, even if we're, it's not totally correct. If we organize around the information, then we'll get correct. But we must go stay centered to ourselves. And to ourselves meaning that in our historical positioning, because that's where our value is. And one thing that a friend of mine was producing a book that's showing what may be happening is that we're starting more and more to accept um, the values of others. Therefore, we're acting like others. And that goes to your point of those values are different. Those values don't will go into an area and look at how do I extrapolate something for myself in spite of them compared to how do I embrace others so that we all can benefit. Um, and I don't believe that's a romantic position. I just believe that that's a principle and that's a value that you have, and you work out the kinks in that. And the free African society, as you, you raised, the question you raised, uh, why did they not um, go for a, a religious institution at first? Why did they say, let's create this as a cooperative? Because they recognized it was different positions, and they respected the different positions because they knew what they had to accomplish. That's a different value than who's going to be the prince. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Brother Richard. Listen, I want to thank you for, for uh, joining us in this conversation. It's even interesting as always, and uh, I know that you, uh, you'll you be with us in different things coming up. Because, uh, and I appreciate you giving me, us the time, the time to be able to express this, uh, you know, and, and yes, you are doing, um, as they say, the people's business, and thank you for it, and I appreciate being with you. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Peace. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. And before we go, you heard us talking earlier. You heard some of the advertisements. Go to www.iamoneofthemillion.com. That's www.iamoneofthemillion.com. Look at the planks. Look at the principles of the organization. Get involved. We have to do. So- we all have to do something. If we don't, then we're part of the problem. Go to w www.iamoneofthemillion.com Get in where you fit in and get involved. Also, if you missed any of the program this evening, in your address bar, type in timeforanawakening.com That's timeforanawakening.com There you'll see a podcast of the programs, other interesting articles, 
um, things of that nature. We'll have some of the information on black products that we use every day posted to the site very, very soon. That's timeforanawakening.com, Time for Awakening Media. Check it out. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion, as always. And we'll be back next week, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Are you watching your children playing after school? They seem to be so
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.